If we're finding our own social environment too difficult to cope with, what's it like for a, you know, an animal that doesn't have the ability to rationalise? So they could even quantify yeah. how much of an impact this was having on the dog's lifespan. A lot of people, I think, can unwittingly maintain a state of chronic stress, fear within a dog. And allowing them to build a bit of a resilience towards that stress is the only way, possible way out. Hi, I'm Dr. Sab Cohen-Hatton. I'm a neuroscientist specialising in human and animal learning mechanisms. I'm Jamie Penrith. I specialise in canine predatory behaviour and I'm also a former police dog handler. And I'm Danny Wells. I'm a dog trainer that specialises in unwanted behaviour. And every week we sit down to chat about the latest research in canine psychology. And more importantly, how you can apply it to your own dog to get to know them even better. Welcome to the Dog Scholar. I've got a question. Yes, you have. I Is it do. Why did Danny's opening sound like "Welcome to Jurassic Park"? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to Jurassic Park. Wow. What is your question? What is your question, Wow, well, you pair of velociraptors, you. My question is a very good question. Good boy. My question's a good question this week, I think. My question is, do stressed dogs die sooner? Oh, serious uh, question. It, it is, is a serious, it is a serious question. question. There's and you giving it some. Oh, no. I had a very serious question. It's been popular over the last couple of years. Popular dying soon is popular. It's been in, <laughs> it's been addressed that in people over the last couple of years about like stress being a big killer in people. So one would surmise it would be similar in dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well I think exactly we're talking that. about like prolonged stress. You know, obviously we've we understand that it's it's important even as people that we push through you know minor stresses you might be stressed revising for an exam but you know good things are on the other side of adversity we're talking about really prolonged stress here aren't we yeah stress can be a motivator as well yeah. you feel uncomfortable so you push yourself harder to get yourself out of the discomfort yeah but if you're talking about prolonged stress chronic stress we know that in people we've seen research that suggests it can have negative impacts on our health and our welfare and it can even shorten our lifespans so i was really interested to know whether it has the same effect on dogs do stress dogs die sooner? I, I would imagine. I would. I would imagine without hearing the research that you're undoubtedly going to go through that it doesn't really matter what the animal is if you're talking about a prolonged... Chronic stress. Yeah, yeah. chronic stress. Not you good, know is that, it? That, that it? No, that it can't be any good on the psychological and even, or physical even, even if health. The, even, if the, even if the science says that they don't, what kind of life is living a life full of chronic stress? Well, yeah. You know what I mean? Psychological stress, the stress that you're experiencing can also result in a physiological stress response. So it, it changes things in your body, you feel it in your body. So for example, you have changes in your hormone system and your immune system that can have a negative effect on your life. And studies have shown generally that a single acute stressor, something really bad that you experience and you find incredibly stressful, can lead to long-term neurochemical changes in your body. So it can affect basically the chemical messengers that you have in your body permanently. It can have a really, really lasting impact. Now, with many species, it's been linked with diseases and a shorter lifespan. And in humans, we know that high levels of cortisol that you get from chronic stress are, are associated with things like obesity and heart disease and problems with your immune system as well. So the study that I found decided to look at whether stressed dogs 
died sooner than dogs that were more generally relaxed. Now, owners of dogs that died within the last five years, just to be clear, it was the dogs that had died, not the owners, otherwise mm-hmm. that would be a really difficult person to contact to participate in the study. Yeah. These owners whose dogs had died within the last five years were asked questions about their dogs. And they were asked questions about their dogs' behaviours and their training and their dogs' personalities, as well as their health and the cause of their dog's death. And there were a few things completely unrelated to fear that affected their lifespan, like weight, neutering as well, interestingly, and dying in an accident, right? So the final analysis kind of took those bits out. It controlled for those bits so that you didn't get an effect that was caused by something else, something unrelated. Now, what they found believe it or not, is the more well-behaved the owner reported the dog to be, the longer it lived. And you might think, ah, well, that's because dogs that had really difficult behaviours due to stress were put down. What's really going on? But in fact, it was actually older dogs that were more likely to be euthanised for problem behaviours. So it's not necessarily that the, the the dogs with serious behavioural problems were being put down more often and that's why they were, they Sometimes were, they were dying Sometimes serious more. behavioural problems can be a good sort of form of stress, like an arousal. It doesn't necessarily equate to like really, really... Um you say acute stress? Yeah, yeah, like chasing behaviours yeah, and things yeah, like yeah. that, chasing things. Arousal and stress? Yeah, yeah. Well, do you know what? Dogs that were afraid of strangers died mm. sooner. So there was a fear thing that yeah, came yeah. into this. And in fact, on average, they lived half a year less. So they could even quantify yeah. how much of an impact this was having on the dog's lifespan. And that's fear, isn't So fear-related stress specifically. Yeah, yeah. Now, dogs that were afraid of things like cars or objects or noises and dogs that had separation anxiety also had more skin problems than other mm. dogs. That makes sense. Yeah, well, it's similar in humans, isn't it? I get the same. I get neurodermatitis. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. stress affects the function of the epidermal barrier, the skin barrier, and it leaves you more open to Infections, you know, so there's a real you just learned something, aren't you? Yeah. skin barrier. Yeah, I thought yeah, yeah. it was something that you get on a motocross track. Yeah. Skin, skin barrier, oh. barrier, yeah. epidermal. It is that, that, that is something you get. Oh, he's taking that corner bit wide. He's going to hit the epidermis. Yeah, <laughs> and interesting. There, there was no difference in lifespan with dogs who lived with other dogs or just with their humans. So that oh, okay. bit didn't make an impact. But certainly that fear-related, mm. uh, that those fear-related behaviours did affect the dogs. I mean, you think about separation anxiety as well. That's a, that's a fear, isn't it? They're f- afraid of being left alone. You know, they're pining back for their owners. They're frightened. So all of these things... It's a fear that they can't yeah. cope by and themselves. it's chronic, yeah, isn't it's it? Chronic. Because it they're chronic. experiencing these things daily. Yeah. So it becomes a chronic stressor. Yeah. And that was definitely having an impact on their life. It, 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 make, it makes sense. You know, when, when I'm stressed, like I said, I get neurodermatitis. I also get like a cold sore and things like that. So there's, you know, physical changes going on obviously dictated by hormone regulation and so on and so forth in my body so mm. it makes sense that the dog would any mammal would suffer the same it, it, it completely makes sense doesn't it yeah, yeah I mean I, I like you were saying with you know the way that it affects you in terms of skin you know yeah. I, I get and I've suffered from as far as I can remember in my life what you call white coat anxiety so in a medical setting I've got a white coat my stress well I don't ever mm. want to see it because it's, <laughs> <laughs> it sets my stru- internally sets my Uh, stress response off to the point that I can feel my heart rate pound I can feel and measure my blood pressure rise dramatically when I'm in a medical session uh, setting even though I'm well aware of it even though I can rationalize it even though I know that it's just a a conditioned association I am unable to physically uh, you know do anything about it 
the life that we lead now, you know, anxiety, stress, you know, mental health issues within people is certainly it's more talked about, isn't it? It's more recognised and it's more accepted. Do you not think it's inevitable that if we're taking a dog and putting a dog into those sort of situations, if we're finding our own social environment too difficult to cope with, what's it like for a... You know, an animal that doesn't have the ability to rationalise. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or understand everyday social norms. It's a human being as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I tell you what, one thing that I do see a lot of, and I, and I have to say, is these kind of like promises of a quick fix. You almost see people mm-hmm. selling snake oil. And if your dog mm-hmm. takes this supplement, yeah. it's no longer going to be stressed. And I mean, look, there's a place for psychotropic medication in some circumstances when recommended by a vet. But there are lots of people selling things that you know you, you put this supplement in your dog's food and all will be well they'll be calm and actually I mean I, I'm not a fan of that at all frankly and and for me there's it's not real is it you're not teaching a dog how to cope what you find with a lot of those things in the small print and even with the you know uh, veterinary prescribed sort of like heavily uh, researched medications there's alongside a behaviour modification programme when taken in conjunction with training, things like that. Because just just to be clear on that, the psychotropic medication can bring down the stress yeah. enough for the dog to learn something. I'm working with and the German the Shepherd. Well, one of my trainers is I've had to sit on it because it was quite complex. What, you sat on the German Shepherd? Working with no, the German Shepherd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of my trainers is working with a, um, a case similar, extreme separation anxiety. I can think of maybe two or three over 10 years that I've recommended to, but I've said, yeah, psychotropic medication is definitely going to help this. It'll take an edge off while we can implement yeah. some structure and a training programme. I think we're about maybe six, seven weeks in now the dog's a different dog wow. it just took the edge off but the then you get people that are thinking I'm just going to put them on medication and it's done yeah. there is still work that needs to be made and just, you know. just to be clear psychotropic medications are essentially medications that will have a calming effect on the yeah. dog like the situation like you said before about you know dogs who are you know have chronic stress over traffic or people, if you're not taking the time to subject them to a lower version of that and teach them to build a resilience you know, you, you, you're setting them up for, for a massive chronic stress, amount of chronic stress for life rather than temporary stress to feel better. There's a big difference between subjecting your dog to mild stress in all, with, the, with the end goal of building a resilience towards that by stress. Teaching it by how teaching it fine. how to cope um, and that everything is fine compared to what, flooding the dog, flooding being taking them way too far too soon where they can't rationalise everything. And, and they, they get could, overwhelmed, And they get right? too overwhelmed to make any sorts of association. Yeah, I think that's right. And do you know what? I think there's something about how we're, how we are at the moment as well. You know, we've seen much higher levels of anxiety and stress in people post-COVID, yeah. post-lockdown. And as we're now living in a cost of living crisis, things are stressful yeah, for yeah. a lot of people. We know how dogs read us. Mm-hmm. We know how good they are at recognising the cues from our reactions, from our responses. That awareness point is a really important one, probably now more so than ever before. Yeah. And especially since now society, society's view on dogs is is this anthropomorphic outlook, the humanisation of dogs. Then if we're humanising dogs and, and, and we're breeding more and more dogs, that we're probably going to take them down with us and create some, you know neurotic stresses. It's really important to speak to your vet, to get information from your vet. What is causing my dog to be anxious? If your dog has got skin problems, you might just be thinking, well, I'll just treat the skin problems. But as we've seen, for example, things like that happen more often in stressed dogs. So the root cause might be much deeper Mm. than the cause of the symptom that you're looking for. Any responsible dog trainer, 
if they see anything that is out of the ordinary, like I've done it myself, I told you three times off the top of my head I can think of it and go, need some vet help here. This is a very serious behaviour. The dog is not, we, we can't really find a baseline that we can subject the dog to to allow them to inoculate, to, to build resilience. So you're going to need a little bit of help here. There's so much that we could talk about with this. And after the break, we'll be right back with some practical advice on what you can do if your dog is feeling stressed and anxious, along with some listener questions. Welcome back. We've got some great practical advice for you. So, gentlemen, what can people do if their dogs are feeling stressed and anxious? The first thing that you need to recognise with your dog is, whatever the behaviour, whatever the situation, dogs are always less stressed when they can predict outcomes. Taking the time to allow your dog to make information in the world that you live in relevant is going to be a massive leap forward when you're dealing with to prevent these sorts of behaviours. Sometimes there are situations where when I know, if I have a dog, for example, that won't leave the living room because it doesn't like the floor surface outside, and I've spent, you know, shiny floors. Some dogs do. Some dogs don't like particular floor surfaces. They won't walk on them. They'll move away from them. They, common. Yeah. they don't like an area of the household. They don't like an area I outside of the household. I feel the same the when I'm wearing stilettos. So there's... <laughs> <laughs> But you still wear them. But I still, that you have, because I face my fear and I do it anyway. Right, so you have these, as as an owner, as an owner of a dog, and as a trainer who works with owners of dogs, and I'm sure that Danny had backed me up on this, because I'm paying him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, no, provided that I know, and the, provided that the owner knows, that the fear that the dog holds, okay, so say my fear is um, walking alongside a, a curb where there is traffic moving and I just balk. I won't go, I back into the lead and I want to go away. Now, if that lead is secure and that lead is attached to the dog, I will walk you towards it and the moment, and I will stand. I won't take you straight into the threshold where you're absolute, as in close enough to the traffic where you're absolutely terrified, but I will allow you to experience the fact that what you're feeling is unnecessary. It's unwarranted because so, the, dog is, the dog is being trapped by its yeah. own anticipatory stress in terms of what it expects to happen in that situation. Now, by showing them heavily scientifically researched, I, I, I'm yeah. sure you'd be able to yeah, yeah. Uh, pull this, you know, pull this up. But heavily scientifically researched, if I can show you that and allow you to experience that stress that you feel, go through it and realise Nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah. It was unwarranted. You know what Unless thing? I get to the other side, yeah. how am I ever going to learn that it's safe to cross? It's exactly. like controlled exposure therapy. Controlled yeah. exposure yeah, therapy, yeah. So which is... Yeah. human equivalents of this. So if somebody has a phobia, say, for example, of spiders, then one way to treat that is to give them very controlled exposure to spiders. Yeah. Now, no one's going to rock up with a tarantula and stick it it's straight like, on your face. It's that desensitisation, isn't it? Exactly yeah. that. You start off with a spider outside the room, but you know it's there. Then you might bring the spider in yeah, a box yeah, yeah. inside the room. And you work up to it and you sit and you hold that discomfort feeling you know it's very similar when you're dealing with people who have obsessive compulsive disorder one of the one of the ways of doing the therapy for that is for someone to not give in to their compulsion yeah. but sit there with the discomfort sit there with the stress until it subsides yeah. and then the next time you do something a little bit further and a little bit further again it's that controlled exposure and it's the same with dogs yeah. Yeah. I'm absolutely busting at the seams here because I, I want to add to that Get it in. there's also this notion of we need to give treats to everything and when people come to me with dogs who are, who are let's use Jamie's example fear of traffic all they've done is 
gone, gone, they've gone to many trainers and they've stood well away back from it, firing rewards. And the dog takes rewards, but every time they get to this distance, doesn't take rewards anymore. What people forget is the absence of an unpleasant outcome is a reward in itself. So the dog, in, in, in other words, the dog goes, oh, nothing bad happened to me then. Nothing bad happened then. Let's do let's do that again. And obviously, we're going to be methodical about how how you know how soon we we start getting closer and closer to the traffic. So you can't reward your way out of an irrational fear. Dogs don't want to take rewards when they're in a heightened state of fear. It's a really good bit of advice here that it might not be great if your dog is experiencing that to just try it yourself no without, not at all without you need a trainer you need someone that has that experience exactly. that can recognize yeah. exactly. when and it's going to be too much for your dog so that you yeah. don't inadvertently cause more damage and keeping it keeping in the line with him with practical tips motion is your best friend when people experience that it's very moving yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when people experience you know, part of was seasick. Yeah, when people when people experience when people experience their their dogs shutting down through fear, they often tell me, "Oh, what do you?" What, I say, "What do you do?" Oh, I just I just stop and tell them it's okay, it's okay. All you're doing is allowing that dog to do nothing but fixate on the fear. I'm not saying plow into traffic with your dog. <laughs> what I am saying is take into consideration that, that, that level of threshold, as we've explained before, and keep that motion going, keep the dog in motion. As people, we would always recognise that sometimes you've got to push through discomfort to yeah, get to the other 100%. side. It's about resilience, yeah. isn't it? Every you exam do that difficult, takes. Yeah, yeah, you do difficult things and you come out the other side stronger for it. That's the foundation of resilience. But with our dogs, we're less likely to do that. We're going to try and soothe them. We're going to go, oh, they're there, it's all okay. Mm. Meanwhile, inadvertently reinforcing the behaviour and we love our dogs so much that we don't want them to experience anything bad mm -hmm. but if the reality is they're experiencing something stressful daily that's exposing them to so much stress physiologically within their bodies that they're going to die sooner as a result well actually it's incumbent on us to be able to help them through yes, that yes it is and the way that you help them through that isn't necessarily by trying to soothe them when they feel stressed but about teaching them that the thing that they're anxious about isn't a reason to be anxious and they don't have to be. And then teaching them how not to be anxious. That doesn't mean that we're believing that you can reinforce an emotion. Your dog's not aware of its emotional state. But it, with the attempts to soothe, what we're saying is your dog feels stress, you run into soothe, that becomes an unhealthy coping strategy. And your dog now, his response is to turn in and take the soothing feeling rather than deal with the stress. We're not suggesting that we're reinforcing your dog's, you know, emotional state as they're not they're not aware of it. We're just making it making it clear that you you can inadvertently give them a unhealthy coping strategy and not cope with a with with that particular situation. There's also something really important, isn't there, about helping your dog to predict things which yeah. reduces stress. Predicting outcomes. Uncertainty really affects dogs, doesn't it? So you can help them by establishing structure. Yeah. Establishing boundaries mm -hmm. within your house, within the place that the dog spends yeah. most of its time. Yeah. If you so take anything you. from this episode, take that one thing of your dog will always cope better when it can predict an outcome. Do you know what I predict? I predict listener questions. Are dogs happier when there are other pets in the house? It depends which pet you're talking about. Yeah. The mouse loves it when you've got three cats. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's 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 like, you know, your dog's an individual. Um you will know more than more than us if you, you it's quite obvious to see if your dog's happy in a certain situation around other animals or if they're not. Well, it's interesting because when um my daughter kept rats, she had two rats and the dogs loved it because they mm. saw the rats as prey. So yeah, we had yeah. to spend a lot of time managing the environment to make 
sure neither mm -hmm. of them would meet. But the frustration that the dogs would experience when they'd be outside her door, scratching at the door, smelling the rats, wagging their tail, getting really, really aroused, knowing that they'll never be able to fulfill that because I can't let them in because they'll eat the rats. That's a bit stressful. So I can argue, whilst they might like having the rats there because they want them, the very act of not being able to get them is a little bit stressful. I reckon they were, so just, I I reckon they were just absolutely amazed that you could get a Mexican inhaler so small. <laughs> You're so I reckon mean. that that question will have been asked will have been asked by somebody who perhaps has been told get another dog for your dog that yeah. you've got at yeah. the moment because yes, it will make your dog yeah. at home happier yeah. not necessarily no, if your dog's case. not happy at home that's, that's a problem that you're yeah, going to have to address you yeah, can't fix it by giving the dog another Throw dog more fuel otherwise on a, on a fire, as explained in the, in the grief episode you run the risk of Having, having dogs that are, are let's say pair bonded together and when they lose one you're going through a world of problems with your dog f through um, through that loss how and the change of environment know? how might you know if your dog isn't happy with another pet they'll, they'll, they'll it can cause um, outbursts of aggression it can cause complete avoidance they don't want to engage there's, there's many just ways just a suppression yeah. of general behaviours yeah. as I say most Low owners mood. would be Low able mood, to yeah, re re reluctance to eat trying to stay in a separate room yeah. all the time there's many, many things avoidance have you got an example of avoidance what that looks like yeah so you could be sat there with one dog and, and let's say it's another dog for example the other one comes over they walk away straight away the one dog has a sniff. Oh, I do that to away. people sometimes. Mm, yeah, I do this to people all times. Um, <laughs> it could just, even be just common sense. It could be. It could be as subtle as, as the other dog showing some appeasements and sniffing in the direction, and they're just turning away and yawning and ears back, lip licking, lip smacking. Oh, I you don't know. sniff at people. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Walk I away. think if you're thinking about it and you get the opportunity, it's always a great idea if you can to be able to give it a trial run first of oh, all. Oh yeah. yeah, and see, see, you know, seeing what you're getting before you take the plunge. Yeah, we did with Red. Red came into an established yeah. two-dog household. Our third dog red so we took her for a trial to make sure that she got on with the other dogs and the other dogs got on with her and so it didn't change the dynamic and you know we introduced them really carefully and you know once once it works it works yeah. and you're never gonna uh, let yeah i will i will say it's always a lot easier like for sabrina's um, example if you've got a, a multiple dog household they're all males it's always going to be a lot easier introducing a bitch than it is yeah. another male yeah, yeah. and yeah. i, th I think like way, like when yeah. you introduce that that new pet you know it's a little bit like dropping a pebble into a pond you'll get ripples amongst the yeah, actual yeah. social dynamic but they should settle. If you remain, you know, you, you, you end up with permanent sort of unsettled waters, something's not right. So on the flip side, how do you know if your dog's lonely? Well, that's a big question. Um, well, most dogs, if they're in a decent relationship with a owner that they have, you know, and they're, they're well satisfied in terms of their behavioural needs, you know, their individual and species specific requirements, then loneliness really isn't I don't, something I think that I've I ever. I, I don't think I've ever, ever looked and thought that's, that dog's lonely. The only I time I really see so. that or the only time I really hear of that is when you get s certain um, rescue organisations, you know, on a sort of like marketing mm -hmm. appeal saying we have the loneliest dog in Britain Aww. that yeah. we've kept I in just, the I just think years. to suggest that your dog's lonely, your dog is reflecting on past experiences and they just don't do it. They live for the moment. But equally, dogs are a social species, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they so are. They need interaction. But There's something about them making sure that you're fulfilling right. your dog's needs. Yeah, by fulfilling, fulfilling your dog's dog. needs can create... Need if you're not fulfilling your dog's necessary. needs and, and, you know, they are social and there's no social aspects to the life, you're going to see a dip in mood but your dog's not going to be lonely per se. Yeah. Here we go, question two. Ready for this one? I'm, I was born ready, Is Jamie. tail wagging a reliable indicator for humans on the dog's state? Ooh. It is. Is the tail wagging the dog? It's as reliable as your ability to read. So, you know, two, two plain examples are a dog can wag when it's happy to see you, but a dog can also wag when it's ready to give you a good biting. You know what I mean? Or, or preparing itself for battle. 
Yeah, my dog. Go, my dog goes over to see another dog, and my t- my dog's tails up like this, erect and yeah, and, and uh, uh, yeah, shuddering fl- 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 like a flag yeah. flapping yeah, in the yeah, wind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's not, not, that's not a dog that's happy. That's, that's a, a dog that's in a high state yeah, of arousal yeah. that's very likely yeah. to go into a behaviour. Yeah, that making themselves bigger. If a dog wagging its tail and broadening its chest out and and holding its head high, it's not the same as a wagging tail that is accompanied by a wagging ass. Or a little wheel on the ground and a rollover on showing your belly and yeah. So there is something that's important about not assuming assuming that just because a dog's tail is wagging that it's going to be happy and friendly great questions as always i love questions don't you i do like questions should we get some more questions fire them to us at dog scholar podcast on our social media outlets or alternatively if you don't want to do that you can always email us at podcast at the danny you want some icks, don't you? Ick me. I'm sensing some ick vibes, right? I'll give you the ickle one. Ick me like a lollipop, Danny. Ick me like a lollipop. Ick me with your rhythm stick. Okay, ick me. well... Ick me. I've, I've been a little bit off the ball today because I forgot to get locations, but oh well, we've got Andy here. Andy from wherever Andy is from says, people who buy harnesses to stop their dogs pulling. So yeah, harnesses aren't ideal for a dog that pulls. It makes it very comfortable for a dog to pull and it'll aid what we, you know, something called opposition f- reflex, the, you know, the act of if, if something is under some f- a force in one direction, it will naturally want to oppose that force in the, in the other direction. So when you put your dog in a harness, it's extremely comfortable to do that. And the more you feel that pull and resist the pull, the more the pull happens. You can perpetuate the, the problem of pulling. Ignore any of the uh, the adverts of no pull harnesses. They don't actually exist. <laughs> yeah. They don't make dogs pull, but they do it, they do aid it and increase the likelihood of making it make it more comfortable for a dog to pull, Jamie. What I would say, Andy, and to anybody else, you want to put a harness on your dog, put a harness on your dog. No yeah, problem yeah. at all. Absolutely. Horses for courses, you know, harnesses for dogs if that's what you want them to be. But, you know, the way that we're um, dog training and everything has gone as, as far as Danny and I will see is that equipment isn't necessarily gearing towards teaching the dog how to walk nicely but more towards making it more comfortable for an owner to walk a dog that hasn't been taught how to Mm. walk nicely to do so yeah which is sorry which is which is another thing to mention you know you might be happy with your dog pulling but you won't be happy on a minus 10 day with black ice everywhere so just be very careful and it's not great for the dog i've seen lots of people walking their dogs where their dog is pulling and it's struggling to breathe my my uh, my partner works in a vet and she uh she sent a picture which i won't i won't disclose but she sent a picture the other day of a dog that was absolutely embedded into a harness through pressure necrosis and it had to have skin grafts taken from its back end to cover up its um, its shoulders there's nothing wrong with a harness we're not saying we're not suggesting that harnesses do this and harnesses are the devil this is obviously a case of neglect but that that the harness rubs the areas that where where the dog's at if the dog's pulling you know if you you want to put a harness on your dog and your dog's not pulling into it fair enough but you know you've got a lot of friction related injuries also it's not really good for your dog's joints pulling 24 7 all the time yeah and similarly i've seen leads that um uh, that have got like a I bit of elastic on, <laughs> <laughs> that have got a bit of like a, a elastic on it to 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 give to way take to out the, the tension or yeah. something yeah, like yeah. Shock yeah. Absorber, basically. and again it's not great is it because it's not dealing with the problem behavior yeah. it's not teaching your dog to walk mm. to I had a bull to come in on one on one of them in a harness and it was do- the dog was dog aggressive and to watch it like it was dangerous but it was comical like the dog was like 
reversing, lunging, springing and bouncing back, reversing, lunging and springing and bouncing back. And you could, that sounds like a dance. And yeah, yeah. And you could, yeah. you could blatantly see that the dog was seeing value in that. It, it was enjoying the process of launching forward and being sprung back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, a bit yeah. like the hokey cokey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. For Andy and his harness, you know, I know that uh, I certainly think this, and I'm pretty sure. I don't think Andy. No, no, it's a nick for Andy. No, no, no. It's Andy. Andy's Andy wants the harness. So Andy's asking about the harness, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm just going to say that you know. There's never, we're not a never say never sort of. No, never, not at all. Sort of team, you know. Never, so, never, 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 never. Everything has its place. Everything has its place. Everything has its place. Do we have preferen- uh, preferential equipment for yeah. preferential uh, certain situations? Absolutely. Yeah. But if a harness works for you, Andy, if you want to have a harness, yeah. it makes it more comfortable for you to walk your dog or anybody else. As long yeah. as you use it correctly, as long as your dog's getting the exercise, yeah. you're both happy. Crack on. Okay, next thing we've got Angel. I love that name. Yeah. Angel. Angel of yeah. Harlem. Okay, thanks, Dan. Nice. That's right. Nice. He'll be here all week. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. That's all right. That's the Dog Scholar's official jingle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Right. And Angel says, this is going to be a controversial one. Angel says, we paid £3,000 for our pedigree cockapoo. Cool. Yeah. cool. This is the new modern thing. You know, when when I was a kid, if you had a mixed breed, you called it a mongrel. It was it was a mixed breed. I've got a mixed breed, and I call him a mongrel. Yeah, yeah. It's nothing wrong with that. It's not degraded. It's, it it is what it is. And to be honest, you know, we haven't got the science in front of us, but the science shows that mongrels live a lot longer, happier, healthy lives. Um, Less inherent health problems. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Absolutely, but. Are they a pedigree? Uh, are they worth three thousand pounds? And are they pedigrees? No, they're not. They're not regist- a registered pedigree breed. It's worth what you're and willing to pay for it, Angel. Yeah, isn't yeah. It? yeah. You know, I, have a, I have a big problem. I have a big problem with people charging excess amounts for any dog, regardless of whether it's a crossbreed or if it's a pedigree dog. It drives and more unethical breeding. It really does. Oh, yes, that is does. my problem. Yeah. You get the greedy people, not the ethical breeders. Jamie's a very ethical breeder. I'm, I'm, my family's got one of, one of Jamie's Labradors, which has got an absolutely fantastic temperament, I must say, Thank Jamie. You, Thank you. And, um, and I know that's down to Jamie's morals and ethics, but as soon as you start driving the prices of dogs up, then people just rub them greedy hands together. And I've said it before in, in previous series, once you do that, you stop selecting what you're breathing for temperament and for longevity and for health. And you start looking at aesthetics and what sells. You've sold your soul to the devil. And it's one of the one of, one of the big problems why dogs are being overbred in the country as it is. Yeah, I think if you, if you don't want to pay £3,000 for a dog, don't pay £3,000 for a dog. Don't anybody pay £3,000 for a dog. You'll soon see the price of dogs drop. Yeah. It's exactly the same That's as it. any basic yeah. Yeah. economic principles. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Supply and demand. Bring the price down, the price will go down. But yeah. as long as people keep paying three grand, four grand, five grand for a, you know, a, a standard dog, that's what you're going to see. And yeah. to be completely honest with you, with 13 million of them in the country, I'm not breeding anymore. The last litter yeah. that I bred was the last litter that I will breed because of that very yeah. fact. We've got enough. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I can't really just... I just like the dogs that I breed. You know, They're nice, yeah. they're sound dogs. We haven't bred loads of them anyway. Well, They've gone to decent homes and I've had decent feedback on them. So... Yeah. But, um, yeah, you want to keep the price high, keep paying high prices. In lockdown, yeah. the prices of dogs went through but the ridiculous. roof, didn't it? But, I mean, the point here as well is is that one about crossbreeds. Cross yeah. And are crossbreeds now becoming the new pedigree, the new fashionable dog? And this is a really interesting one because when you start breeding a dog for aesthetics, for how it looks, you can breed 
problems into the dog because you're not yeah. thinking about their temperament yeah. necessarily. Well, and you see that with some of the some of the bracky yeah. dogs, well, like what you find, you know, French yeah. bulldogs and things, where they then can't breathe because the look that people prefer is that really short yeah, snout. Yeah. But then the dogs have got breathing problems and they've got health problems. So it is so important to think about both ethical breeding and also the kind of dogs that you know the demand yeah. that you want to drive. So you know, are you breeding a dog for the dog or are you breeding a dog because I, I would cool. I would like to say something a little bit controversial. Could I? That's not like you, Danny. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say it anyway and if it makes the final cut it makes the final cut could I okay. I'm going to say it anyway yeah. so the, <laughs> that is like you that, that, was the, yeah, that was the biggest problem with dogs today was human beings breeding them to a human specification for aesthetics and you only have to look at some of the major organisations that everyone's like wow this is great and I'm going to say Crufts you look at the, you look at the German Shepherd that won best of breeding Crufts that is an unhealthy dog that's in, in going to be in pain already that, you know its back legs were absolutely terrible but yet everyone's like, yay, Crufts, and they're giving this dog a rosette and people are encouraged to breed from that and produce more of the same. You Because know, we should say that was the purpose of dog shows originally, yeah. was to find to the best yeah. specimen. It's a bit toy and folly, wasn't it? Something from. to kill the time and for people yeah. who had the but money that, and the time to kill. That's why with breed specifications, you get marked down if your dog yeah. is neutered, for mm. example, because yeah, yeah. They were the, the yeah. shows were designed to select the best dogs. Are and do you know what? The shows were designed. Do you know what absolutely dumbfounds me? that that's been brought to media attention for years now every year especially the German Shepherd category and it's still happening that's still the look that they're preferring you know this is it's not ethical in my in my opinion you know we should always put welfare and health as a priority well welfare health and temperament as a priority I think things need to change yeah, I agree and that's all we've got time for this week. Great conversation, gents, as always. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with a friend. And if they don't enjoy it, their dogs might. Over to Danny for a final thought. No one's going to argue our dogs mean the world to us. And I think what we've learned from this podcast today is if you want, that, if you want to maintain that relationship, a healthy, happy one for as long as possible, do everything that you can to reduce the dog's likelihood to be stressed or anxious. Fantastic advice. See you next week. Oh, oh, oh.